So let's face it, you wouldn't be here if you didn't have confidence in your life as precious, filled with possibility. So it's time to turn up the flame on that insight. And you wouldn't be here if you didn't recognize the capacity for great love inside of yourself. I mean, who could sit like this without love? This container is established on love. So turn up the flame on love. I want to share a Tibetan Buddhist practice, which I find to be really helpful. And it's a way of orienting towards the flame. There are four thoughts that turn the mind towards the Dharma. And you can think of them as foundation stones for your practice. Once seen, you can't unsee them. They are the kindling, the manure for your soil. The first one is the recognition of this precious human life. What a blessing that you were born into the human realm, the only realm where liberation is possible. Please reflect upon the countless blessings supporting your practice that bring you to this room today. It is helpful to make the fact of being blessed vivid for yourself. The second is the recognition of impermanence. Nothing stays the same. We are involved in a flowing process. We are a flowing process. The third is the recognition of dukkha. So easy to see the stress and suffering of our own minds and the world. The fourth is the recognition of karma. What you do really matters. What you don't do really matters. And Sushin is the perfect laboratory for studying these four thoughts because this container that we are holding so diligently together gives us front row seats on how we come to be. These recognitions of the facts of dukkha, anicca, impermanence, karma, and this most precious life are seeds that you have already planted. Now's the time to water them, nurture them with your attention. You may be surprised how they stir you, light a fire under a burning question, grate away uncomfortably to bring forth a jewel, soothe a tender heart. They will bring life to your life if you pay attention. Dukkha, karma, impermanence, this precious loving life.
In the Theravadan Buddhist tradition, they mix these four terms into one feeling, which they call samvega. This is the feeling state that came over Siddhartha Gautama when he journeyed outside the safety of the palace gates. It was a complex feeling, shock, disbelief, a sense of chastisement. How could he have been so complacent? And disenchantment, things that he had reveled in previously felt devoid of their hook. From that feeling, a sense of spiritual urgency bloomed. It's important that this feeling of samvega, disenchantment, which is so vital to spiritual life, not be despair. We don't want to go to some dark and depressed place. Disenchantment quite literally means unhooking from the enchantment of self. As Bodhidharma reminds us, ordinary people in their perpetual ignorance crave form attached to everything, everywhere. I'm sure you've probably noticed this tendency this week. It's significant that in this story, the legend of the Buddha's life, that he sees the visions of sickness, old age, and death simultaneously with the radiant vision of a spiritual seeker. In this fourth sight, he is filled with a sense of being touched, of possibility. This feeling is referred to as pasada in Pali. It's also a complex feeling. It contains equanimity, energy, joy. It brings forth a sense of being resourced and supported. Do not neglect pasada. Do not neglect joy. At this time in Sushin, it can be very helpful to open yourself to all the joy that is being offered, all the gifting that life is delivering, the perfect gifts for you. Your job is not to miss them. I've been reflecting on the gift of Bodhidharma. He's made me contemplate walls as obstacles, foundations, support, barriers, places for attention. What would it be like to sit in front of a wall for nine years? Determination, focus, complete engagement, commitment, a grand kind of love. Haven't we all faced down with something for that long? Perhaps you deal with a chronic illness, trauma. You've brought up a child, developed a gift or a skill. We all face walls, build barriers, take them down, give and take away attention. That's human life. I've also been contemplating Bodhidharma's arduous journey. Imagine traveling from India to China at that time, a rough road 
Haven't we all stepped out of our comfort zones, being compelled to engage, share deeply? Isn't that what we're doing right now? It's really interesting to me that these two famous images of Bodhidharma are so different. One static, sitting, immovable, facing a wall. One moving, going places, engaging with things to share. These images bring up some interesting questions that are central to spiritual life. Maybe you're chewing on these right now. Do we do something? Do we do nothing? Effort or relaxation? Engaging, relinquishing? Picking up or putting down? Let's go back to Bodhidharma's text two entrances and four practices. He says, to enter the great way, there are many paths, but essentially they are of two means, by principle and by practice. By principle is the experience of being non-discriminative, still in alignment with the flow. In this way of experiencing, There are no problems, everything is okay. But for most of us, this is not the experience of our human life. When we sit down, we begin to feel the mind churning, tension in the body, a feeling of aversiveness, discord with the way things are. Very kindly, he gives us four practices to work with. First one, accept adversity. Second, adapt to conditions. Thirdly, stop seeking. Fourth, live in accordance with the Dharma. What you probably notice is that his advice falls on the side of non-resistance, not doing. He says, accept, adapt, stop. And why is this? Because he's really concerned about us continuing to make karma. This is how he views the human predicament. For innumerable kalpas, I have pursued the trivial instead of the essential, drifted through all spheres of existence, created much animosity and hatred, maligned and harmed others endlessly. I am reaping the karmic consequences of past transgressions. In another passage, he says, Sentient beings are steered by karmic conditions. Suffering and joy are experienced together as a result of causes and conditions. Any reward, blessing, or honor 
is a consequence of past causes and is gone when the necessary conditions are exhausted. In another passage, he says, all forms change with karma. For him, this question of karma is a very serious consideration, a burning question. And non-karma making is a very serious activity. He is a part of a long line of spiritual practitioners in India who have taken non-harming as a central concern of spiritual life. You probably know about the Jain tradition where people pay great attention not to kill, being very careful where they step, even wearing masks on their face so they don't breathe in inadvertently an insect. For Bodhidharma, Practice is a purification process, a way to deal with karma, the tangle of it. In his view, we really don't know the full extent of who we are. Isn't this both a terrifying an exhilarating proposition. Let's go back to the episode with Emperor Wu. Emperor Wu summons Bodhidharma to his court and asks about the highest meaning of noble truth. Bodhidharma answers, there is no noble truth. The emperor, getting a bit frustrated, asks, Who is standing before me? Bodhidharma says, I do not know. The emperor then asks about how much karmic merit he has accumulated from ordaining Buddhist monks, building monasteries, having sutras copied, and Bodhidharma answers, No merit. Just to set the context, in the Buddhist tradition, dana is often given as a means of accumulating merit for yourself and your loved ones, a way of building up good chits in the bank for good karma. This is a very common exchange, and it has helped sustain the lives of bhikkhus and bhikkhunis in Theravadan countries for thousands of years and continues today. But Bodhidharma says, no merit. Emperor Wu is taken aback, says, who are you to say that? Bodhidharma responds, I don't know. I had a really personal encounter with this story that I want to share with you because it was so strange. It literally happened the day before I came to this session. 
I have been feeding a bhikkhuni for many years who lives in Vancouver. I was trying to uphold her vows despite being separated from any monastic context. Very challenging. So there are a few of us who are feeding her. And there's another Sri Lankan woman who is helping out. She's very devoted and brings Donna, I think a few times a week. In a way, I knew about her, but had not met her. But at the door of the Bhikkhuni's house, we cross paths. This is when she told me that her 29-year-old daughter was diagnosed with a very aggressive brain tumor that has literally transformed her back into the state of being a child. She now needs to be bathed, washed, and have her mother sleep with her. Being a mother myself, I could directly feel this kind of suffering. And this question came up for me, how could this be happening to her family? This dedicated Buddhist whose family has been supporting the Dharma for generations. This is the example of the mysterious and at times heartbreaking reality of karmic fruition that Bodhidharma is speaking about. Because we don't know the full extent of who we are, there is no place of complete safety. So what do we do with this tangle of a life where we could be blindsided at any moment like this mother? Truly, how do we keep living? Bodhidharma is really clear about this. He says, practice the paramitas, the six perfections. Orient your activity to that of an enlightened being. Lean into them. What are they? Dana, generosity. Sheila, or sila, practice the precepts. Shanti, practice patience. Virya, practice with determination and energy. Dhyana, practice concentration. Prajna, practice wisdom. Bodhidharma says, Practicing for the sake of removing impurities, one liberates others without being attached to form. This benefits oneself, benefits others, and glorifies the Bodhi path.
The other side of the matter is that because we do not know the full extent of who we are, our capacity and potential may be far greater than we think. The extraordinary thing is that this mother continues to bring food to the bhikkhuni. Her resilience and faith are remarkable. For me, this is the true strength of a practice life, unshakable faith. So Bodhidharma faced off at a wall so we could stretch deeply, be surprised like this grieving mother at the depth of her heartache and her capacity. But he would not have been able to sit there if he were just frozen in pain or a lump of dead wood. This was a human in direct contact with his full aliveness. I like to think of him as someone unabashedly in love with his breath. He could feel its compassion, its great ability to encourage, comfort, direct. And he listened to it, oriented with the flow, all the way to China, to Japan, to here, to now. May we continue to care for his precious breath right now, right here, together.